friends who have come to me and said, like, you know, my kids told me it was non-binary. I don't even know what the hell that is. Right. <laughs> they're like, they're talking about they pronouns he and him. Right. What, what am I supposed to say? And I'm like, yeah. what's up, everybody? And welcome to the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of black LGBTQIA individuals through an interview-style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA individual. Thank you for tuning in, and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Quirly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, I know her first as Jaleesa. Um, actually, can you tell the people about your, your new, uh, your, your name that you go by now and just kind of describe um, that journey from the name I, when I met you into the name that you have now? Okay. Um, well, my birth name is Jaleesa Goodwin, um, sometimes pronounced Jaleesa Goodwin. And so uh, a friend of mine gave me the nickname Ja, and it just kind of stuck. And um, I started going by Ja Zuri because I was studying Swahili at Howard um, for my foreign language. And Zuri means beautiful or great. So the meaning behind it for me was just uh, God, because people in certain communities and the one that my friend was a part of, um, referred to Jah as God. So God is beautiful. God is great. I am God. I am great. Just trying to intertwine myself with the divine and honor that part of myself through my name. That's awesome, man. That's super dope. Um, so yeah, so Jaleesa, man, look, we're going to just jump right in. Um, <clears throat> thank you again for, for coming on here to share your story. Um, you know, we talk a lot about just uh, your journey to becoming yourself. Um, so we all start at the beginning. Um, when was your first uh, experience with where your sexuality was a thing? Um, what, what was that? Not that you, not, not necessarily you're coming out, but like that your sexuality became a thing. Um, in like the fourth grade. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's personally, it's always been a thing. I, I don't, as far back as I have memory, I remember my queerness. I remember having an awareness of it, even if I didn't have language to describe it. Um, I knew that I was attracted to pretty much everybody, but particularly girls, which was something that was like, I guess, considered taboo at the time, or just um, I didn't see anybody else talking about that, or um, I really didn't know any openly queer people growing up. So um, I would say maybe about in the fourth grade, I became very hyper aware of it because um, of just being in, in school in a formal setting and having more peers and having friends, but friends that I knew I had crushes on and knowing that that wasn't something that I could safely disclose to them and not be potentially ostracized. Um, so I chose to disclose it to my brother. And I remember sitting in the family room with him and we were home by ourselves and we were watching Showtime at the Apollo. And I just kept like, thinking about it and thinking Steve about Harvey like, the host no, no. Steve Harvey no. was oh, wait, maybe maybe yeah who was the um I think it was Vanna Black oh yeah <laughs> I think all knows you had to rub that little tree stump uh-huh. so um I remember I do remember bad boy was performing because it, they would always do like the amateur night and then the big performances and I was like before the end of this episode you gotta tell them like I was having this internal dialogue and so each co- commercial break it just kept building and then 
I eventually turned to my brother and I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't have the language for it because I'm in elementary school. So I told my brother that I like the same species as myself. Like, <laughs> he's like two years older than me. So he was like, what are you talking about? And I, he was like, you like girls? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I like girls. <laughs> and he just was like, okay. And kind of shrugged it off. Um, and it did kind of free me in a sense, but maybe like a couple of days later, we go to my aunt's house and we're hanging out with our cousins. And I don't know if he had forgotten about it or if it was just like, it just, a light bulb went off in his head. Cause he kind of popped up and was like, and my childhood nickname is Lisey. And he was like, Lisey like girls out of nowhere to my cousins. And I was just like, so your brother out as you. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, Oh, that's it. And they kind of, you know, but, and they weren't, they weren't disgusted or, you know, shocked. They kind of, uh, thought it was amusing I guess because they laughed it off um, and I didn't feel any type of way until they told their mom my aunt and then my aunt told my grandma and then my grandma told my mom and then my mom sat me down and was like you know you don't know what you're talking about you know you're too young to know what that is and I was like you know what I'm gonna just zip it like I'm not gonna argue with you about it because I don't have any type of argument I don't have any evidence to, to prove or disprove it um, and it felt like it wasn't something that my family was in support of. So I just kind of shut down, kept it to myself at, from that point. Yeah. So as you're going through, like, you know, probably all of elementary, you liked both, but you probably just were like, oh, like, he's a cute boy. But like, I'm like attracted to her. Like, yeah. you understood the difference pretty, mm -hmm. pretty early yeah. about the difference. I think that people, um, people have like a aversion to talking about sex and sexuality when it comes to, to younger children, but um, you know, kids have sexual urges. And so I knew the difference between me thinking a boy was cute and me wanting to hump another girl or, <laughs> you know, being like, I would kiss her, um, him, I would let him hold my hand. And also, you know, different levels of attraction, just not understanding um, physical, emotional, sexual, um, mental attractions. So I, I was aware that there were multiple levels of attraction for multiple genders for me yeah so at what point did you actually uh put language to it and when you first put language to it how did you identify yourself so your first experience of like coming out essentially like whenever that was or even before that how did you identify yourself did it ever change or were you always what what how did you identify yourself um, it definitely has shifted, you know, as a kid, we just, I didn't have any language for it. Um, I had an older cousin who, uh, she came out to me when we were in middle school. She had to be in like eighth grade and I'm in seventh grade and we would talk about it. Um, but she was struggling and kind of grappling with that and what language to use. So we weren't using language. We just would say, you know, we, we know we're gay or like girls, um, and then coming to college and being aware that I was still attracted to men, I identified as bisexual and I joined an a organization that was for queer uh, students on campus. And when asked about it, I remember sitting in the cafeteria with a handful of girls from my floor and I was going to interest meetings left and right because I'm from Ohio and it's not a lot of people from where I'm from in DC or at Howard specifically at that time. So. Um, I'm just trying to meet different people and um, I was leaving early to go to an interest meeting and they said where are you going and I said um, I'm going to the uh, Bogosa meeting and they were like well, what's Bogosa and I said the bisexual lesbian and gay organization of students at Howard and that was me officially coming out to 
the rest of my floor. I had disclosed it to my roommate on the first day because I'm like, you know, we're sharing a space, a very intimate space, and I want you to be able to trust me in this space. So, um, yeah, and at that point, I identified as bisexual, and then um, just getting older and learning more about my own sexuality and gender expression and realizing that um, it's not just man and woman or he or she, um, you know, I started to meet trans folks and non-binary folks and I'm attracted to them as well. So um, at this point, I, I definitely identify as queer or pansexual. Okay. Um, uh, break that down. What, what, does, what does that mean, pansexual? Um, pansexual just means that it, you don't have to have a gender for me to be attracted to you or um, it's, not, it's not just uh, two, it's, it's multiple, it's a multitude. So um, it's just, yeah, being attracted to a rainbow array of people. Just so you're more just it's more about um, being attracted to the person. Yes, being themselves to and not to their gender expression. Right. So whether so that it, person identifies, no matter how that person's, no matter what that person's sexual orientation is, my attraction to them is not rooted in that, or my attraction is not rooted in their physical presentation or what gender they assign, um, they have been assigned. At birth or what what gender um they've chosen for themselves right so that means just to make sure people understand um so you can be attracted to cisgender people mm-hmm. um you can be attracted to straight people gay people bisexual people lesbian people it's just about is it more of a an emotional connection a spiritual connection a physical connection what what kind of how do you define it like when you meet a person what is it about them that lets you know that you like them or where does the openness for you come from? Cause, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So, um, demisexuality, I had a conversation with, um, a guest about demisexuality and, uh, I understand that is the emotional connection mm-hmm. before the physical, right? So when we talk about pansexuality, it's no gender and it's, what's the first, like, what's the initial connection that makes you know that you're attracted to a person? Uh, I would say, well, it depends on, it's really something that happens on a case-by-case basis, and it does depend on how I'm introduced to the person, because I can't say it's always physical. Um, It could be physical attributes, like, I might see someone and, and be like, that person is attractive, and I'm not thinking about, I know some people, bells go off in their head, like, is that a a man is that a woman they're trying to categorize the first the person before they um assume comfort with their attraction but for me um it is more of a spirit thing like how my energy connects to theirs um we could i could see something some content that someone made and um then we have a conversation about it and i'm attracted to them on an intellectual or a mental level even if i'm not physically attracted to them but um i believe that the different components influence each other like I might meet someone and be physically attracted to them, but then we have a conversation and I'm like, oh no, I don't, I'm, I'm not sexually attracted to this person based off of what I just experienced. That, that attraction love, that physical attraction could go down based on me not being emotionally or intellectually um, attracted to a person. So it's really all, really all three. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's definitely, it, I would definitely say it's a, it's a spiritual attraction. And then um, that spiritual attraction is enhanced by those other components. Yeah. So really it, it, it's, it's just like anything else, except you don't have a preference for the gender. 
it's like I can be attracted right. to anyone as long as just like any like if if I you know I ain't me I'm a you know I like women so all those things have to be hit but they have to be a woman first but for you they don't have to be a woman first they can be yeah. they can identify <laughs> anyway and then all those other things have to happen mm-hmm. I, I do give preference to non-men I will say okay. that because you know some of the the people that I engage with don't identify in those ways um so I'm not I'm not like oh women are at the top of my list but um non-cishet men are at the top or non-cishet men cishet men are at the bottom so right <laughs> I just don't want everybody watching this and being yeah, like oh, yeah yeah no I get it because you're basically you're saying yeah. you There's know transgender folks um you know people who identify as non-binary they them um th- all those all those types of things got you Okay. Yeah. No, that, that makes, that makes sense. And that um, is also why I say it is a spiritual thing because, um, there is a certain level of safety and comfort attached to knowing that another person is either queer or non-binary or bisexual or pansexual, knowing that we have something in common and also blackness. Like I, I'm attracted to black people primarily. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not opposed to dating, uh, people of other races or backgrounds, but I know that primarily that's where my focus is when it comes to seeking out people that I'm attracted to. Yeah, no, I understand. So just to go back to um, an earlier point, did you ever, after, after all the stuff with your, your family, did you ever have a conversation with them, like go back to them and say, Hey, you know, I'm gay, respect it. Was there ever that kind of final conversation or just kind of, we just left it alone. We just going to move forward and we just going to live our life yeah we just kind of left it alone and moved forward and um you know my cousin eventually did end up coming out to our family as well um and she was just very very visible and very flamboyant about it and so um once she kind of opened the door there was no conversation to have because it was assumed that whatever was acceptable for her was also acceptable for me um and it wasn't even until i had moved away um and we started to have more of a social media presence that I announced to, because I come from a very large family. So my immediate family knew, but I made sure on national coming out day to announce it to my, <laughs> right. my family and my friends was like, yeah. you didn't know. I right. So, right. And then after that, I, I did become very visible and um, vocal about uh, my sexuality and gender expression. So um, I think after that, everybody in my family just kind of knew um, and it's, it's, it's literally never come back up as a, how old were you at this point? Um, 18, 18. Okay. So yeah. Um, nice. Okay. So because kind of set the precedent was like, whatever she does cool. We all could just follow suit and like, we good. Like favorite too. So I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, we all good in the hood. Get in trouble for this. Right. Good. So then you go to Howard, um, you, you are very aware of your sexuality, um, you know, kind of as it came up, you would address it. So like you talked about your roommate and just being respectful of her and like saying, Hey, look, this is what's up. Um, and then you start becoming social. So you're getting in groups, um, all of that. Talk about your experience kind of, um, going through, you know, what that initial, uh, talking to your, your, um, you talked about the cafeteria and like talking to your floor. Um, and then 
the journey from there for you at uh, Howard? Um, well, I think that being the type of person that I was at that time, I was very outgoing. I was very friendly. I would talk to just about anybody on campus. Um, and I was still very active in the LGBTQ organization. So I mean, not active, like taking on leadership roles, but active, like showing up, being present and making sure that when an incoming class of freshmen came in, they knew who were the older people on campus that they could look to for support. Um, Cause that was the biggest thing for me, not necessarily wanting to have uh, influence, but wanting to be um, visible so that other people knew that they weren't alone in, in, in any aspect. Um, so I always made a point to just stop by and let them know like, hey, I'm not staying for the whole meeting or I might not be at all the programs, but this is my face. If you see it anywhere else and you need anything, stop me. Um, and I joined other organizations as well. I joined a mentorship organization. Um, I joined the Afrocentric organization. Um, I joined another mentorship organization. Like I was very active on campus and everybody that knew me knew who I was and knew how I was. Um, but I made sure that when I was seeking out interest in these other organizations that I put that on my resume that they knew like, you know, because membership in these other organizations sometimes qualified you for membership in other organizations. We have a term at Howard called stepping stones where like, you know, you join a social club so that you can get into a Greek letter organization so that you get in, get into a national fraternity. So, um, as I was joining things, I was making sure to be upfront about that too, because I wanted them to know that this is a, a part of what comes with this package. So if you choose to include me or accept me into your organization, you're making space for this also. Yeah. So at what point um, did, cause you were in um, the gay organization on campus or the uh, LGBT organization on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Cascade uh, a couple years Right. Um, what was the journey for you being visible and you know, very much uh, out on campus and then um, joining some of the other organizations, what kind of resistance, um, if any, did you meet by trying to get into some of the other organizations being out and visible? Well, one, I was so green about everything. I didn't know a lot about like HBCU culture and especially not Howard culture. So I'm just, I'm going from interview to interview. I'm like, I'm gonna go to this one and then I'm gonna go to that one. And then at this time I got this one. And so um, there definitely was resistance and there definitely was a reaction that I was unaware of um, because I was just like, I'm just showing up as myself. But um, you know, just when you say, if, if I say I'm a part of Agosa and then somebody asks what that means, the same way I kind of got a, sh- uh, not a shocked reaction, but some shock value out of it and divulging that to my floor mates, it was no different. Um, and like I said, I did join a Afrocentric, like African-centered organization. And that was something that I was completely unaware of because I was just starting to learn more about myself as an African descendant. I was just starting to um, become more rooted in my culture. And I didn't have any idea that there was a subculture of homophobia in Afrocentric spaces. So I'm coming into these spaces like we all black, we all about the cause, we all down, we want to love each other and I'm embracing people and I'm feeling like I'm being embraced. Um, but then as I reflect back on certain experiences I and also just things that were shared to me by older members in these organizations who were like, yeah, you know, this is what was going on behind the scenes. Um, 
So, you know, I did have people question my, question my capacity to show up and try to strengthen the relationships in the black community when I also identified as a member of the queer community as if those things were separate. They weren't looking at it like black and queer. They were looking at it like you either black or you gay. And a, and, a, and a similar conversation comes up in um in women-centered spaces sometimes. Like, are you are you black first or are you a woman first? Or you know, if you're Afrocentric, are you going to um, be about the Black Lives Matter movement or the LGBTQ movement? Um, and for me, I've I've been able to have access to spaces that encompass all of that at this point. But at that point, that wasn't the case, and there were times where I feel like I had to betray myself in order to um, continue to access these spaces. But in the back of my mind, I knew that that sacrifice, I felt like that was a sacrifice that I was making personally um, in order to create more space for people like myself. So when I received pushback about wanting to partnership with Lagosa, like, you know, it's, it's not uncommon on campus for organizations to do programs together. And so I would say, okay, well, we're gonna do this program that's centered around black love. So let's get Bogosa to come in. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. we're not doing that. <laughs> and I'm like, we're not doing that, right. but I'm a new member. So I'm like, okay, we're not doing that. And I, but in my mind, I'm like, you know, these people are older than me. These people are not on campus. These people are probably not gonna outlive me. So I'm gonna let it rock for now. But <laughs> when they're not around, it's, good, it's, it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, and it did, like, you know, we started to bring in um, more people who were members of Bogosa or members of Cascade who had seen me in my other organizational shirts and was like, oh, they have gay people in their org. I can join that. Um, and then it wasn't so much me fighting that battle alone. Um, it was more like we are here and we're saying like, you know, y'all need to make more space for us or y'all need to find a way to bridge that gap and that divide. So, and it's still a, it's still a work in progress. I can't say that now We've created this um, ut utopian space. If anything, I would say that um, even some harm has come out of it. And that's something that, like I said, being very naive about how these um, systems are created or how these spaces can be made unsafe. I didn't know that bringing other people into it without having very much autonomy myself was putting them in harm's way. So that's something that's had to be unpacked in recent years and is brought back up as a, a wound for people who have been at Howard prior to me and maybe wanted to be a part of certain organizations and were like, oh, I couldn't be a part of that because they were homophobic when I was on campus or they didn't have gay people or they was tearing down the signs for the gay organizations um, meetings and stuff like that. So it's, there's a very, um, there's a very tense uh, history between the Afrocentric community and the queer community specifically at Howard and I think there is a lot of work still to be done, but in the time that I was there, I made sure to try to create as much space as I could for myself and others to feel welcome and to feel like we were actually building community. Yeah, how, um, how are you able to kind of maintain both sides of the fence? So like you're trying to get into, you know, these spaces and uh, being open and meeting this resistance, like what were those things in your mind that helped you to be able to just continue to push through the resistance? Because I think, you know, there'll be a lot of people um, who meet that resistance and then decide, you know what, maybe for now, I just need to kind of, you know, leave this part of myself to the side versus trying to say, no, I need to continue forward as myself, 
embracing all parts of myself um, and, you know, push this forward, um, even if I'm met with resistance, what was, what, what was kind of going through your mind then? Just my self-worth and um, just my trust in myself, like my being, feeling firm in my identity. I knew that was something about myself that wasn't going to change, even if I chose to express it differently. Like, even if I decided to date a guy and marry a man and, you know, have a heteronormative family um, structure, I knew that queerness is a part of my identity. And I talked to all of my potential partners about that. Like, you know, if I am dating a cisgender man or I am in community with cisgender folks that my queerness is a part of that. So you can't be like, I'm cool with you and what you do, but not all of that stuff. Like all of it is encompassed in that, including trans folks, because there are some people who are like, oh, you could be queer, but don't be trans. Like, you know, they will still find ways to other or marginalize people who are already marginalized. Um, and just knowing that if I did not show up, then everyone who was counting on me to show up would be waiting for someone else to do that. Or knowing that if I didn't continue to encourage myself and continue to press forward, that somebody else maybe wouldn't be able to do that either. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, you put in so much time and effort at Howard for everything. Everything is a haze. Everything is a pledge. Everything is a process, whether you're just trying to register for a class. So I think <laughs> just being at Howard had already prepared, had already started to prepare me for that. And um, once I was in these organizations, I'm like, you know, nobody can take that away from me. Like I, I'm here, I earn my place here, just like everybody else. I'm active, I'm visible and I'm, and I'm bringing more people in. And also the people that I was bringing in and the people that um, were telling me like, you know, I, I looked up to you or I'm here because of you. Um, I felt a responsibility to them like that would not let me just go into the margins or, or, or go into the shadows um, or stay in a closet. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really all it's, what it's really about. And um, it, it, there, cause there's so many people uh, I always say, you know, every generation or every group has their own battle. And um, I definitely feel like it's, it's refreshing to see, um, you know, young people now uh, not contemplating suicide <laughs> or not, you know, questioning who they are and not feeling like they have to hide away or, um, you know, not identify with this part of themselves because, you know, people like you and others have been able to just be themselves and they can see what they, what the future will, could look like if they are, you know, able to just freely express themselves. So um, thank you for that because, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's an uphill battle for sure. Um, so pronouns. Say, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I will say this though, um, in, in choosing to be present and active and fighting to take up space, um, I did later realize that I had in a way alienated myself from being immersed in a queer centered community. Yeah. Like, I was in a space where I was on the margins as opposed to, and I was spending the majority of my time in those spaces because I was like, I need to be here. I need to make sure that this is happening here. And so because of that, I didn't have um, the experience that some people get to have where they're like, I was going to gay clubs and all my friends was gay. Everybody yeah. around me was just, I just assumed everybody was gay because we was all gay. It was more so yeah. like, I just assumed that they're not <laughs> until they yeah. tell me they are. Right, so, right. Um, that was definitely a, a personal sacrifice, but not one that I regret, that I regret largely. Yeah. Do you think that um, 
some of that came from the resistance that you got met with with your family by it not being accepted there it was almost as if i'm not gonna be denied here like I, oh, it wasn't sure. accepted there. I'm not going to get denied here. And so I'm going to go to the 20,000th power to make sure that in this space, I'm accepted 100%. Yes. Or not even just accepted, but um, seen. Because yeah. in, come in coming into um, organizations, you are choosing to create a community of people or you are choosing to, to make an extended family. This is not a family that I was born into. It was not a family that I was forced into. At any point I could have said, I don't wanna be a part of this and left. But because I chose to be a part of that, I said, well, I have to bring my full self into this space. And in the same way that I'm asking myself to see and honor the fullness of the people in front of me, it's okay for me to ask for them to do the same for me. Um, so it was a part of like self-acknowledgement, but also, um, yeah, it was definitely influenced by not being able to um, play that out within my birth family, feeling like my chosen family is the vehicle through which I can work through this and move past this block. Yeah, yeah. So you had to fight to create that that space for yourself. Um, yeah. So that's totally understood. Um, gay clubs still open, so if you want to go now, you can talk. <laughs> I do, I do. Invite, <laughs> you know, invite me. Right, right, right. Um, so... First of all, congratulations um, on, you know, completing your journey at Howard. Um, I know, you know, obviously, without going into too much of it, uh, it was a tough journey. And uh, so shout out to you for finishing because a lot of people don't. Um, so your resiliency in other areas, I think, carried you through and, you know, gave you the the the, 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 uh, the fight. Um, we, I, I was talking to someone else and uh, we always say, like, you know, queer people are resilient. You know, Black queer people specifically are very resilient. So congratulations to you. Um, for finishing your journey at Howard. Um, so now, you know, present day, uh, how do you identify um, yourself from a pronoun perspective? And then how has your image evolved over time? I mean, I, obviously I know how it has evolved, but you can talk about the different changes and different things that you've kind of evolved through, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last, uh, you know, 10 years. Okay. <laughs> Ten years, oh wow so we're going from like without aging myself from the 20s right. yeah um, 15 i mean if you want to go from high school okay you know. um well i think uh as far as gender expression goes uh, as a kid i mean i grew up poor so and i had brothers i had cousins girl cousins but i had brothers in the home so i'm wearing whatever's clothes is clean i'm wearing my brother's clothes my clothes whoever's clothes my cousins um and then coming to college, I kind of just defaulted to what, whatever I was wearing in high school and whatever trends were being set then. Um, but I would definitely say since, since I'm, I don't want to say since graduating because I just graduated last May, um, but I guess hmm, since uh, my first years of undergrad and also just being exposed to a lot of different types of style and gender expression through Howard because the fashions, the fashions, okay? Fashion. So definitely, definitely giving fashions at a fashion show 100%. at 8 a.m. on the yard. Yes, um, indeed. High do, heels, full drip, everything. <laughs> and that's what I don't do. I don't do high heels, but I do a low heel, okay? No um, kitten heel, I, Michelle Obama. <laughs> I'll do a, a bodysuit, um, but my gender expression has 
always, I feel like always was, but has become more fluid. I've become more comfortable in a, a fluid gender expression. And being a teacher, I work at all different types of schools. I worked as a substitute teacher in DC. I worked with third through eighth grade boys, high school girls, um, kindergarten through fourth grade. So I'm very hyper aware of my gender expression because I'm, I'm interacting with children. And so I might wear crop tops and no bra all the time in the summertime. But when I go to work, I might be wearing a blazer and a jacket and, you know, pants or like, you know, just clothes that brought less attention to my body and to my gender. Um, to the point where sometimes, you know, kids will be like, are you a boy or a girl? And I'd be like, why do you need to know that? And they're like, are you? And I'm like, whatever you need me to be. So my, my pronouns are she, her, but if anybody says he, him, they, I'm not offended. I will correct you just so that you're aware. And so there's clarity with adults, but with children, however you see me is okay with me because I'm showing up in a number of different ways. Um, so I would say my gender expression is definitely androgynous and sometimes leaning more towards femme, sometimes leaning more towards masculine. It really depends on how I'm feeling that day and what the weather is like. And if I'm riding a bike. <laughs> right. You got to wear pants. <laughs> but I will ride a bike. <laughs> I will definitely tie that skirt up and still get on that bike. Uh, how do you feel uh, with with kids? What, what grade do you teach? Um, all of them. I oh, oh, okay. Substitute for uh, K through 12. But previously, um, for like the past six years working in DC, I worked with kindergarten through fourth grade specifically. Okay. How do you feel? Uh, do you see any change with like the way that kids show up now versus when you were in school? And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Definitely. Yeah. And it's like, I can come in the room and find the gay kids immediately. <laughs> they all got like a big hoodie and a, and a mullet and some loose pants. And they got, they got a certain walk, like they got a little box. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, um, so yeah, I definitely think the kids show up differently. But also there are so many kids who don't dress, don't wear their sexuality as their, as their style. So there, you know, there are kids who people are like, oh, I think that kid is gay, especially when it comes to like the boys, because they were in the skinny jeans, the, the ripped pants, the, you know, mm -hmm. their style is very different now. Um, but I feel like they are feeling more free in themselves and not feeling like they have to conform or they have to show up a certain way to be considered masculine or feminine. So um, I do see a change or I, I would say those things were still happening when I was younger, as far as, you know, girls who wore sports were seen as tomboys and maybe people were making assumptions about their sexuality based on how they dressed, but they're still showing up in that way. Like they're, they're still very comfortable in dressing however they dress and letting people come to whatever conclusions they want to. But I will say that um, I can always kind of like, spirit will kind of pick up on that, um, that queerness within other people. Like, you know, it's like that, your gaydar will pick up. Yeah. And the kids are the same way because I could be wearing a, a rainbow sweater and they'd be like, are you a part of the LGBTQ community? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, me too. And I'd be like, all right, cool, cool. I'm glad we yeah. had that conversation. Yeah, do you think it's just, I mean, I think with kids, is it derived from them trying to find a safe space to express that part of themselves? Because of course, a lot of them at home is like, you know, their parents are probably straight and they don't feel like my mom's not going to understand this. If I, I don't even know what this is, but I know what the LGBT community is. So if I see it, I, I know what it looks like and oh okay I'm not alone in this I yeah. definitely think they're looking for um safety and not just safety affirmation 
Like, yeah. you know, they might, I think they are used to adults telling them, like I was told, you don't know what she's talking about. You don't know what that is. You're too young to know what that is. Yeah, I don't care what grade the kid is. If they tell me something, if a kid tells me I'm purple today, I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> nice <laughs> to meet you. Like I'll ask them their names. If I, I make sure that as much as I can, I create space for their autonomy and their personhood. If your name is pronounced a certain way and I say it wrong, I tell them, correct me. Or I ask, did I say it right? Um, and more often than not, I did say it right. But if I didn't, I make sure they know their space to correct me. Um, and I don't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm working with a different group of kids every day because I'm subbing. So I'm not like, what, say your name, stand up, say your name and your pronouns because mm-hmm. I have six, seven, eight periods of kids in one day and then I'm on to the next group the next day. But if a, if a student tells me, that they use pronouns that don't um, necessarily, that are that, that, that are not readily identifiable based off of their gender expression, I use that. If they wanna be called by a name other than the name that's on their role, or a, if it could be, your name could be Dana, and you tell me you wanna be called Bob, I'm gonna be like, okay, Bob, whatever you say, Bob. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I think they're looking for somebody to just affirm them and tell them it's okay to, to say, to express what you wanna express. Um, and it's okay if people don't agree with it or, or you know, don't understand it as long as they respect it. Yeah. Have you ever had any conversations with parents? <laughs> not, um, not in the school setting. I mean, I have a lot of community conversations. Like I'm around a lot of people with children and a lot of my friends have children. Um, my siblings all have children. So I do have conversations with parents, but not necessarily about, um, you know, myself just, you know, about what their kid may be going through. Yeah. I have mentees and I have friends who have come to me and said, like, you know, my kid told me they was non-binary. I don't even know what the hell that is. Right. <laughs> or they're like, <laughs> they talking about their pronouns, it's he and him. Right. What, what am I supposed to say? And I'm like, you don't have to say anything. Or I try to, I try to send them resources like, oh, well, here's an Instagram page that can help you with parenting a child who identifies in this way. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm definitely not an expert, but I have had, I've had parents come to me with questions but I've never been confronted by a parent about anything yeah that's dope awesome man well we've reached the end um I want to ask you uh what piece of advice do you have for someone who is going through a similar journey that you went through um what would you tell them Mm, now I feel like I'm talking to my younger self yeah (laughs) um a similar journey to me, what would I tell them? I would tell them to just live their life, like live your life as best you can. And when I say as best you can, not like, not let me be the best version of myself or let me be the, be all I can be, or let me try to make somebody else proud. Live your life in a way that makes you feel proud of yourself. Live your life in a way that when you get older, Um, You can look back and be proud of your younger self and be proud that you showed up, but that you lived, not just, you know, I got to show up and I got to do the thing. Like, even if living means not showing up, if you, if you want to live your life in private, if you want to live your life out loud, or if you want to fluctuate back and forth, just live your life as best you can. That's dope. That's awesome. Thank you, man. Well, um, we've reached the end. Thank you so much um ja for for coming on and sharing your story i'm your host ashley harris this is another episode of the queerly black show i'll catch y'all on the next one